is going to come and share the word of God with us. Can we give Carl a big welcome? Come on. Yeah. Morning, everyone. Thanks for that. Um, Mr. Barker is fine, Al. Um, as, yeah, Sir, Lord, I answer to all of those. Um, no, I do have to get used to the name Mr. Barker. Um, I'm about to start my first year um, as a science teacher uh, in a week. Um, and um, amongst other things at church, I'm part of the worship team here. And I'm very excited this morning because I get to speak um, a bit about science um, and a bit about worshipping God through music in particular, which are two things I'm very excited and passionate about. Um, it's our last week in our mini-series on Psalms. Um, I'm going to be talking about Psalm 33 this morning, which is a call to worship, probably written by David. Um, and he starts off uh, basically by telling us we should worship God. Um, very simple. Gives us the instruction right at the beginning. Then he gives us a bit on how we are to worship God. Um, and then most of the psalm uh, is devoted to why we should worship God. Um, so if we start in verse 1, um, we read, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Um, now, I don't know what that phrase, it is fitting, makes you feel like. Um, it, I, it's not particularly inspiring, uh, if I'm honest. Um, it is 100% fitting for us to praise God. When you think about all that he has done and, and who he is, it is definitely fitting. It is definitely the right thing to do. But something about that phrasing just makes it sound a bit like a chore, like it's something we have to do. This is just fitting. Very good, very good. Um, and um, I don't know, uh, other translations have different words. Um, in the King James Version, we get a, uh, a little bit more. Um, it refers to, uh, uses the word comely instead. It's comely for the upright to praise him or something similar. Um, and that makes me feel like I'm in a period drama. You can imagine someone like Mr. Darcy saying, my darling, you look comely this evening. Let's take a turn. <laughs> but actually, um, there's, there's so much more to this word. It comes from a Hebrew word, um, hava, which is probably pronounced very different to that. Um, but another place in the Bible where this word is used quite a lot is Song of Songs. Um, and we've um, got some examples hopefully on the slides. There we go. Um, I'll read one of those. So from uh, chapter 6, verse 4, we read, You are beautiful as tears are, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem. And those words, beautiful and lovely, are both the same word that has been translated as it is fitting in the Psalms. Um, and our Song of Songs is a, um, a song, as the title suggests, um, between two lovers on, during, and after their wedding. So we're not talking about something that is just the right thing to do. David is using a word that his son, who wrote Song of Songs, used to describe his wife on his wedding day. That's how beautiful it is when we come and worship God. Wedding night, looking at your bride. Be careful here. But that's how amazing it is when we worship God and how much of a privilege it is for us to worship God. So how do we worship God? We get that in verse 2 and 3. We read, Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. So we, we're to use music, which we've done today. Well done, everyone. It says play skillfully. Um, I don't believe that, obviously, literally. We've heard some great music this morning. 
Um, but for those of us that aren't in the band on a particular day, this applies to everyone. We're to give as much as we can in worship. You know, worship God with everything you have. Um, if that is, you know, your mind, your body, think about your physical posture. We're to be creative. Um, it says sing to him a new song. Again, I'd love that to, be, to come out literally um, and hear songs that people sing that are inspired on Sunday mornings. Um, and over time, be worshipping with songs that people in Redeemer have written. Um, but this also applies beyond music. Creatively, we are to think of new ways to express our worship to God with whatever means we have. And then finally, it says shout for joy. Worship um, ha- can cover a whole range of emotions, but it needs to be joyful at times. We need to worship God exuberantly. And uh, David, who wrote this psalm, he wasn't just um, sitting at a table writing um, in theory here. Um, two weeks ago, Roy talked about when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to um, Jerusalem. Um, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's words to his people. Um, and you can read about this in 2 Samuel 6. Um, I just want to focus on a couple of verses that are happening as the Ark comes very close to the temple. Wearing a linen ephod, which probably basically means his underwear... David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. So you can see here, this is a man that clearly thinks that worship is way more than just fitting and right. This is a man who was willing to, as the king, dance in front of all his people with all his might. That is clearly a man who thinks that worship is a very beautiful thing, not just, it's very fitting. I was challenged on this recently um, at church a couple of months ago, uh, June the 18th to be example. I went to Twickenham to watch uh, the greatest rugby team ever, Leicester Tigers, play uh, Saracens boo, in the premiership final. And uh, it was an amazing game, really close all the way through. Uh, And Leicester, my team, won with a drop goal in the last minute. And I was was shouting a lot that day. Um, I went with my father-in-law, I nearly deafened him. If you spoke to me the next day in church, you would have noticed I was quite hoarse. Um, And while uh, while we were worshipping that day, um, uh, I was in the band, I was playing bass, and I heard God... um, almost audibly say to me, can you cheer for me like you did Leicester Tigers yesterday in the rugby? And I would love to tell you that I just immediately threw my hands in the air and started going, yes, God, yeah. Um, but I, I didn't. I, my first thought was, that's going to look silly. Um, that's not what you do in church. Um, I thought, that's probably going to feel really weird. Um, and to be honest, it did. It was the first time I'd ever done it. Um, it did feel quite uncomfortable. It felt strange. Um, but everything feels uncomfortable the first time you try it. Um, that probably shouldn't have come as a shock to me. Um, but do you know what else? Hugh didn't come and pick me up and take me off the stage and say, don't ever do that in church again, Carl. Um, no one said anything to me afterwards. I very much doubt anybody noticed. Um, I was playing bass, so no one noticed me anyway. Um, <laughs> but... But new, new things feel, feel strange the first time. You feel a bit self-conscious. doesn't matter who you are, how outgoing your personality is. If you try something new, particularly when there's people around, it's going to feel a bit different. 
And my, my challenge today, or I feel God's challenge for us today, is to do something new for him in worship. Think about what your new song is. It might literally be a new song. It might be that you dance with all your might before God. But it could be a smaller step. You may never have closed your eyes while singing. That could be your new song. You may never have raised your arms during worship. That could be how you sing a new song to God today. It could be that you dance for the first time. Um, Think about the the lyrics of the words that you sing. Match your posture to that. Um, For example, if it talks about kneeling, you can kneel if you're able to do that. There's so much we can do. God's given us amazing minds um, and bodies that we can worship him with. We all have a new song we can bring to God, and I believe that that is what he would like to see today. But the psalm doesn't finish there. It's not just a a pump up. David go, come on guys, let's worship, and then hoping everyone gets caught up in his emotion. Um, I don't think as a king you dance in front of all your people not wearing everything. If you just, you know, if you're just a bit excited about the day, this is grounded in something um, much more than just an emotional high. Um, There's nothing wrong with the the emotion that we feel during a worship service, but it goes way beyond that. Um, Going back to the day I I watched the rugby, um, you know, I was that was a serious emotional high for me. But by the time I got on the train, I wasn't cheering for Leicester Tigers anymore. I was just a bit annoyed that I'd been stuck in a queue. That, that was an emotional high. Worship of God is way, way more. And David gives us that with the rest of this psalm. So from verse 4 onwards, we have loads of really good truth about why we worship God. Um, and there's loads in there. Um, it's it's an incredible psalm. Um, but I want to focus on three things. Um, God is incomparable. God is involved. And God is invested in us. Um, So if we read uh, verses 4 to 9 first. For the word of the Lord is right and true. Um, Listen to Morris's preach from last week if you want more on that sort of thing. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now that passage is chock full of things that tell us about the power of God. Um, There's a lot of metaphors in there. um, Because at the time this was written, there was so much about the world that David didn't understand. There's still so much about the world that, that we don't understand, but we understand a bit more. Um, and it can be easy to kind of skip over these things. Be like, yeah, yeah, God created the universe. Excellent. Um, let's just focus on verse 6 um, for a second. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Um, I'd like you to all do something for me. Can you get your hand, put it in front of your mouth like this, just a, an inch or two in front, and just breathe on your mouth? Now, you probably all felt something. If you didn't feel anything, please go and see a doctor. But <laughs> whose hand moved? That actually moved away from there as a result of the breath. That's what I was expecting. Even if you really, like, take a deep breath and go, like, really big. I'm not going to blow because sound guy will kill me. But the, your, your hand's probably not going to move. Hold that thought. 
Um, can we get the stars picture up? This is the Carina Nebula. As much as it looks like it's from a science fiction film, it is real. Um, this is a pic or pictures that have been captured by the James Webb Telescope that's recently been launched. Um, and what is happening here is that stars are being created. So the brown dust, and it is literally dust, is being clumped together, this is the science bit, um, by gravity. And stars are literally being created in this picture. So you can see all the, the sparkly bits in amongst the brown dust. They are brand new stars. A bit like our sun. Um, now our sun is 1,400,000 kilometers across. And that is the equivalent of traveling from here to Australia and back 93 times. And our sun is a serious wimp compared to most of the, the stars being created in this picture. That, that, uh, the picture on the right, uh, the landscape one, is probably about a billion miles across. And God has done that with the breath of his mouth. We can't even move our hand. God is creating stars. And that's it. And that's not all. Um, we read in verse 7, sorry, my visual aid, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. Um, I've, I've been on boats a couple of times when I've been in the middle of the ocean and all you can see around you is just literally water. Um, and you just feel so tiny. Um, that's a small part of one ocean on earth. And God is gathering them into something like this. Tiny jar. Doesn't have to be caramelized red onion. I'm sure he uses a variety of preserves. In verse 9, we read, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Now, as I've said, I'm about to become a science teacher, so um, my job is going to be talking about how amazing God's creation is. And um, I will be doing that most days, and I will not come even close to describing the wonder of God's creation. There are a lot of people that are a lot cleverer than me on this sort of thing, and even they, given all the time in the world, with their speech, are not going to scratch the surface. God's speech created it. We can't describe it. He made it. And just pause for a second to think about what that means for you. When you pray for healing, you pray to the God that created your body and knows exactly how it works. When you pray for provision, you're praying to a God who breathed and stars were created. When you pray for breakthrough in a particular situation, you are coming to a God who speaks and entire galaxies come into being. That's the kind of power we tap into when we pray. So that should give you faith for the things you're already bringing to God in prayer and let it challenge you. Can you bring more to God? Are you praying prayers that are too small? Are you limiting what God can do in your life? Now, I could go on for hours, days, ask my wife, I have, about the wonders of God's creation. It's something that really um, inspires me um, and, and um, yeah, draws me into worship of God. But I think but one of the problems with focusing on God's power is that it can make him seem a bit distant. Um, that's the way of our world. The more powerful someone becomes, 
the harder they are to reach, um, from work up to leaders of state. Um, you can usually tell how powerful someone is by how many people you have to ask to get to speak to them. But that's not God. God is involved in his creation. Wait a second. I've forgotten how to count. Um, he didn't just create the world and then go, very good, off it goes. Uh, my son Jacob loves jigsaws, but he only loves making them. Basically, as soon as he's finished, pushed out the way, onto the next thing. But that is not God. God is watching. He is involved. Um, so we read from verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. So here we read exactly what I've just said. God didn't just create, move on to the next thing. He is involved. He foils the plans of the nations. He sees all mankind. But this isn't just kind of from a general overview, um, watching a summary, looking at a bit of data. It says, he formed the hearts of all and considers everything they do. Now, Queen Elizabeth, for all her hard work, has the job of running one country on earth. And I very much doubt my existence has ever come into her mind. I very much doubt she considers everything, anything I do, let alone everything. And God, who rules everything, considers you. Daily, hourly, right now, God is considering you. You may be seeking him. You may not have considered him much before in your life, but he has considered you. Um, the, the person that Roy referred to that's come to taste and see might be the first time you've thought about God today, but he has been considering you your entire life up to now. You may not have ever considered God. You may doubt he exists. You've been dragged along this morning. He's still considering you. If you're struggling, I know there's loads of different stories, people who are going through some really difficult times in this room. God is considering you. The same God that breathed and made stars is considering you. But it gets better. He's not just involved. He is invested in you. He's not just watching his creation like you might watch a TV show to see what happens. He is fully invested in your success. If we read the rest of the psalm from verse 18 onwards, we read, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Uh, now, we start these verses with, with a but, which means that it must be contrasting something that's come before. Um, so if we jump back to verses 16 and 17, we read again, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. 
A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Now David, who wrote the psalm, was king of Israel. He was a great soldier, great military leader, um, a brilliant fighter. And in his day, nothing would have trumped, certainly in his position, nothing would have trumped having a massive army. On an individual level, nothing would have trumped being strong and a great fighter and having a good horse. If he'd been writing this today, he might have talked about uh, a good education, having a nice house, good job, lots of money, good looks, a nice car. But he says those things do not save. He was a great leader. People would have looked at him and gone, he must be a good fighter. They would have heard the legends of him killing Goliath. But here he says, none of that is what saved me. None of that is what got me into my position today. He says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. It's the eyes of the Lord and God's love for him that is what has kept him alive to that day. Now, um, I don't know what the technical term is, but that middle line on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, uh, from a grammar point of view, that's right, grammar and science, lucky people, is not needed um, to understand the, f- the meaning of the sentence. I'm not suggesting we cut lines from the Bible. Um, but it's there to basically say, so those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, is another way of thinking about those who fear him. It's just a bit of an expansion that helps us. But if we take that out for a second, we get the meaning of the, the main sentence a bit clearer, I think. It says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him to deliver them from death. Because God isn't just watching his creation and considering everything we do as an impartial observer. Throughout all of history, all of the creative power that God has, his main purpose, his ultimate plan, has been to save us, to deliver us from death so that we can have a relationship with him. In verse 20, David writes, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And when David wrote this, he was waiting for the hope of the Lord. But we aren't. Jesus is our hope, and he has come. The help and shield that God had promised to his people and David, um, and the other Psalms suggest that, God, that David had been given a prophetic view of this Savior, he has come. Jesus is your hope. And he came because the same God who speaks and breathes and entire galaxies are created, who puts oceans into jars and is in full control of history. That God didn't just stay in heaven watching. He came down to earth as a man called Jesus to deliver you from death because he died in your place. And the same power that puts oceans into jars and create stars, defeated death, and brought him back to life. Death does no, no longer has power over us. We no longer have to fear death. It just means that we go to be with him. So that's why it is fitting to praise God. I think it makes a lot of sense. His power and his sovereignty make him worthy of our praise. He make him the only one that is worthy. His love and his grace deserve our unlimited gratitude. But it becomes such a beautiful thing when we recognize that 
we are not in control. That God is the ultimate power in this universe. That he is worthy of praise. He is the one whose way we should follow. And when we step out of our comfort zone and recognize that and shout to joy for him, it is such a beautiful thing. So I want to go back to my challenge at the beginning. How can you worship this God? Hopefully you are now convinced that you should worship this God. And I'll I'll repeat it. You should. What is your new song? It may be that you've come to church before and you've just sung, sung along with the words, not really thought about them. They're up on the screen. Everyone else is doing it. It's nice and easy. Maybe this morning it's time for you to really think about what you're singing. Maybe you have thought about those words before, um, but it's just been in your head. You've thought about what they might mean in a general sense. And today God wants you to take it from your head to your heart. He wants to make it personal to you. I think that's one of the powers of music and, and why we use it in worship, because music in general can take head knowledge and make it real, move it to our heart. If you've already done that and you're already a follower of Jesus, what new expression of worship for God can you step into today? What is your new song for him? Uh, Band, if you can come up. Um, I'm just going to pray for us. um, And then I want to give us a bit of time to think about that. Um, Think about how we can respond to this incredibly powerful infinite being that is involved in our lives intimately and is fully invested in us, wants the very best for us. So think about that God and think about how you can respond to him and then we are going to shout for joy. Lord, I thank you that there is no one like you. I thank you that creating the universe was just a, a breath for you that it was nothing it was in a, such an easy thing for you to do and yet you don't remain distant from us as your power and your majesty might suggest you step down into our lives Lord you are watching us and you want us to succeed you want the very best life for us you want eternal life for us in an intimate relationship with our loving father And you made that happen. We didn't come to you and ask for it. You stepped down and you sacrificed everything so that we can know you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move here today. Lord, it's basically pointless me standing up here and talking if you're not moving in people's lives as well. I pray that you will inspire new ways of worship. I pray that you will take away self-consciousness Lord, just drown out the lies of the enemy that make people think they're going to look silly. Lord, I just pray for beautiful expressions of worship to you 